The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartache and triumph and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week we are book clubbing Celine Dion's memoir titled My Story, My Dream, written in 2000. This is a book that goes deep into Celine's relationship with her manager and later husband, Renee, which also makes it a very detailed account of how a 40-year-old man signed a 12-year-old girl and then groomed her into a relationship with him in a way that makes you ask a lot of questions. Oh my gosh, I love that song so much. I had that on repeat as a kid. So before we dive into the episode, this is our third week as the Apple Spotlight Pick. Apple Podcasts has started an inaugural program where they pick a podcast to feature for the entire month, and we are the very first pick. So tell all my exes about it. Send my nemesis a note. (laughs) Just get it out there. Um, If you are new to the podcast, I recap all the books on my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, which is actually how this podcast got started. And then every time we drop an episode, I also put up a visual story that goes with the podcast episode. So pictures of everything we're about to get into in the episode are on my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, saved in my highlights, so it's always there no matter when you listen. If you're new, I recommend looking through our previous episodes, finding a celebrity who you think you know a lot about, and then see just how much your mind has changed after you hear their memoir. And please click subscribe if you want to hear some upcoming episodes. They, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I think they're amazing. We have Carly Simon's book with Leighton Meester, which was just such a work of art. We are covering Lonnie Anderson and Burt Reynolds' competing divorce memoirs in a special Valentine's Day episode. And also one of my favorite memoirs, we will be covering Gabrielle Union. So click subscribe, leave us a five-star review or a little note if you feel like it. And all the links to everything we talk about will be in the show notes. Now let's dive in with our amazing guest. Please welcome Stephanie Beatrice. Hi, Stephanie. Oh, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am so happy to have you on. I'm a big fan. I've been a fan since before it blossomed into what it is now, and I just love it. You have been an OG book clubber. Like from the start, you've been on this journey. I I I feel like this podcast is 
probably a year in the making of us talking about a celebrity book. Um, so Stephanie is the beloved and iconic star of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which you all know. She's voiced all your favorite characters on things like the Lego movie, BoJack Horseman. She's been in so many TV shows. She's one of the stars of the upcoming In the Heights movie, which I cannot wait for. I like tried to win the lottery to see that musical maybe 19 times. I never did. Um, I could go on for days about all the things she's done, but I will say in quarantine, I came across a movie called Half Magic and you steal the show. You had my heart. I was like, <laughs> Stephanie's like, it's so obvious, but she's like, you're just such a star. Oh, that's so kind. I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met and we legit met through this book club. <laughs> like through DMs and you were one of my favorite people because you would admit to really corny feelings that I also have. So I'd be like, oh, this book is really like, (laughs) this changed my life. And you're like, me too. And I was like, yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. I think that's the whole point of this is that, you know, these are people that we put on pedestals really deeply, you know, idolize and, they're spilling all their guts, sometimes really messily. And it's so refreshing. Some Sometimes it's like really, really, it just makes you feel so much because like if that badass fucking huge star was going through the shitter yeah. and keeping a smile plastered on her face and you're like, I fucking got this yeah. too. <laughs> like I can also survive, you know, it just makes you feel amazing. Uh, I could not agree more. This is, I always say these are my self-help books and I genuinely mean it. Um, 100%, so 100%. when you chose Celine Dion's book, I have to say I wasn't looking forward to it. I thought it was going to be one of the more bland reads and it was so fun, so fucking crazy. What made you choose Celine Dion? I loved her. That for the first English album that I heard of hers, I think probably after Titanic came out, like yeah. I deep dived into her albums and I just thought I've always loved storytelling through song. I'm a huge fan of country music. No one can change my mind because it's this massive story told within, you know, two to three minutes. And there's something about her voice that's really, and I don't, and, and, now having read the book, I have like some different opinions about it, right? But there's some there's something about her voice that's really channeling something. And I like I, that's my my favorite kind of artist, my favorite kind of actors are the kind of people that seem to be channeling something beyond them, like mm. maybe from a life they lived before or like access to some part of their humanness that not everybody else has. And I think that's why we're attracted to artists because they're able to access and channel some kind of something, some part of themselves or some part of something they've never even lived that just feels, I mean, I remember crying eight years old, crying in the back of the car to Reba McIntyre's Fancy. Like, oh, I, oh my that's God. how much, like, I fucking love that song. Do you know that's like one of my favorite? I think that's my favorite song of all time. I love Literally, that song. I get chills and cry every time she's like, I might have been born just plain white trash, but fancy yes. was my name. I'm always like, I'm gonna make it. <laughs> that not is white. But I, I still feel that way. Yeah, I have a necklace that says fancy don't let me down. And I had it custom made oh and God. I wear it and I'm like, fuck all of you. I will go and 
That is so yes. funny. No wonder I like love you so much, even though we haven't spent time together. But I feel, yeah. Have you ever gotten high and watched the music video to Reba's Fancy? I used to get high all the time. I don't smoke weed anymore. I will watch it sober or maybe drunk. Yes. Um, but I've imagined the music video many times starring myself. Yes. Oh, yes. I've imagined it a million times. I, I also don't get high anymore. But when I did, I one time made the mistake of watching that video. And she's like coming back to the shack. And her mom's like, like go be a whore. And I'm just like, <laughs> get your life right. Look up fancy. Okay. So totally makes sense. And Celine totally channels something in her voice. You're so right. It's just mm-hmm. when this book, you find out it's something you were not expecting. Um <laughs> Not at all. So written in 2000, it's titled My Story, My Dream. It's so corny. There's more where that came from. And right away, the book is dedicated to Renee, her manager, who she married, whom she calls the man of my life, which fucking understatement. And I remember like (laughs) pictures in magazines of like, oh, the lady from Titanic is marrying like Santa Claus. And like, that's so weird. Yeah. Um, But then the book lays out their love story step by step to the point where she's telling you how he groomed her and she doesn't seem to realize it. But then at points you're like, no, wait, she's really convincing me. She is in control. And then you're like, no, wait, that's the, that's the grooming. Yeah. You said it convincing. There's over and over and over again in this book and she'll do it within two or three sentences, she'll make a statement and then convince herself of some other truth or convince herself that that is the truth. She's constantly convincing herself that everything is fine, that it's okay, that the path that she's chosen is right. And I understand because like, sometimes you got to do that for yourself just to get, just to make it through, right? But she's done that with her whole, I mean, they met when she was 12. 12, 12 years old. And we're going to get into... All of it, because also I think it's something you do when you're in a bad relationship. You're constantly convincing people yep. how good oh, it is. Girl, there was so many times I thought of my ex. I was like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yes, same. Mm-hmm. same. Oh, yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Same. Okay, yeah. so let's read page one of the book. One beautiful morning last winter, a manatee appeared in the canal right behind our house in Jupiter, Florida. It stayed there for hours as if it were waiting for something or somebody. As soon as I went into the water, it started coming toward me. I spoke to it petted it, and we swam together for a while. Okay, so that's how the book begins with Celine meeting a manatee and swimming around with it. And then it that won't be the craziest thing in the book. Like, I was like, oh shit, this book's gonna be weird. And it's it begins with a manatee, <laughs> which <laughs> now that I've made it to the end of the book, I'm like, I can't believe that's where it started. Okay, so she talks about how she's the youngest of 14 kids. Her mom thought She could be done at having 13 kids. They're Catholic. She goes to the priest. She's like, can I please go on birth control? I've had 13 kids. Can I be done now? And he's like, no, you can't be. God says no. And so then she has Celine, the 14th kid, which then makes it like a biblical story where like the priest was right. Right. Like, thank God. And which I hate. I'm so sad for her mom. I know. I I felt really sad for her mom. I felt sad for her mom many times in the book. There's one in particular that I want to talk about. I don't know if you want to talk about it yeah, now or later, but her mom is this super hard worker, obviously puts her whole family and all of her kids first, maybe had some dreams of her own. Don't know. Yeah. They're gone. But there's this part where they're traveling and this is later where they're traveling to Japan for this giant, big competition. It's a huge deal for Celine. And I think they're going to fly first class or something. And her mom can't kind of, 
can't comprehend that this is happening. Like, can't, doesn't think that she deserves it. And literally her words are like, I don't deserve this. Yeah. I don't deserve this. And she decides in that moment that she's going to stop smoking forever. And she, and Celine says in the book, and she never smoked again. And I really, she says some bullshit like, you know, I think my mother, I, I thank my mother for that idea that, you know, you have to earn what you deserve. And, you, you know, and I, as I was reading it, I was like, no, you deserve to be happy and you deserve luxuries and you deserve all the good things in the world just simply by being alive. You don't have to quit. If you want to quit smoking, then great. But you don't like owe any penance. And Celine was also like, and thank God because her smoking was ruining my voice. And you're like, Celine, oh shut dramatic. Like, get out of yeah, here. I I totally hear that. And but I will say the nice thing is that Celine loves her mom. Like she just loves her mom. She loves sings her. songs about loving her mom. And mm-hmm. early on in the book, Celine says a quote. She she says, I was and continue to be a very obedient girl, which I thought was very damning. I thought that was so weird because she's like writing that as an adult woman. Yes. I was and continue to be a very OB. I underlined that too. I was like, oh, wait, what the fuck? Like you're a grown up. Also, it speaks to her brain. She was always obedient. So when people come in and tell her things to do, like Renee, her manager, she does them and it all plays into like how she ends up in this place. Um, so they have a very yeah. musical family. They're like this Catholic hippie musician, uh, Quebecois family. And when Celine is 12, she's the last kid at home. And her mom tells her she has a new project and her project is going to be to make Celine a famous singer. And I really, I really liked this part of the book because one thing I think a lot of people don't talk about is how successful people often are successful because they had a family member who tried before them and either failed or succeeded. But yes, it's kind of like Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours where it's like the family member does the first 10,000 hours so that you can do the second. Totally. And it reminded me of like, it's like Mariah Carey has that. Um, Tina Turner has a sister. Uh, Penny Marshall had a brother. And it also makes me jealous. Because I yes, had no totally. It made me so jealous. Okay. I also had yes, no one. I, so I was going to ask you, like, when you got into this, like, I don't even, I didn't even have, like, oh, my cousin knows a person who who works for. A, I had nothing, no contacts, nothing. So how nothing. did you like get yourself here then? Because Celine, her family caravans herself into this dream. I worked so fucking hard. Like, I yes. just, you know, anytime I had an audition or something, I was like. I mean, I sometimes I wish I was still like this because sometimes I come across auditions. I'm like, I'm not memorizing seven pages. But oh, when no. I was 20, <laughs> yeah. when I was 20, I would have been like, yep, memorizing every single word. Oh, yeah. Like, I believe in the character. You know? I'm going to dress like them. Well, also right. now, can't you just <laughs> right. be like, bitch, like watch my TV show and let me know if you'd like. <laughs> you would think, but no, of no. course not. But no, because I play a huge, hugely different character. Yeah, too. of course. So like. I mean, I remember that audition for Half Magic, actually. And, like, it was so hot in the waiting room. I was dying. So when I walked into the room, I immediately went to the air conditioner and, like, put my armpits over. I was like, hi, I'm sorry. I'm sweating really bad. And Heather Graham started laughing really hard. I think that's why I got it. Oh, my God. Because she didn't expect that I was going to be like that. And also, I was like, I'm just going to do this because it's, like, sort of what the character would do. And also, I I am sweating through my T-shirt. Like, this is very You're like, I don't want this on tape. Let me dry my sweat. You know what, I've, because um, I'm a TV writer mostly, I've seen auditions come in where I'm like, who dared to ask that person to put themselves on tape, like the balls you have to like ask them to do this. And then, and they did it. 
That was the thing that I was jealous of, though, in the book. Like, I was, I, I was like, she says, she's like, for most people, most people think of their idols as unreachable, untouchable beings. I, on the other hand, saw most of my idols every day up close. I ate with them, slept in the same room with them, played with their dresses and high heels. They took me to restaurants and stores. I went to hear them sing almost every night. They told me that one day I'd sing with them on television. They also told me about Broadway and the big Las Vegas shows. They said we'd make records together. So it was like, they were all around her. They yeah. were doing it all around her. So, like, why wouldn't she think that... That it wasn't possible. And also, her yeah. brothers and sisters did that footwork that we did, where you're just, like, wandering around being like, how do you uh, meet somebody? So they did all that part. And then by the time Sling came in, they had all the contacts. They had all the musicianship. And I loved that she credited them. Credited them. She was like, my dream yeah. comes from my family. And, my, and I was born into this dream. Love it. So jealous to the point of anger kind of made it hard for me to enjoy, but that's just my issue with maybe anyone who who gets like a, a fast pass. A little yeah. leg up. Um, yeah. And yeah. so someone gets an idea to send her demo to Renee, who's like the biggest manager in Canada. And he has this singer named Jeanette Reno and they send it to him. And this yeah. is another part where I got jealous. They don't hear back. And so her brother calls him up and is like, you idiot. This demo will change your life. I can tell you haven't listened to it because you haven't called us. And like, you're throwing your life away by not listening to it. And so 10 minutes later, they get a phone call from Renee being like, oh my God, I just listened to it. Please come in this afternoon to have your brother believe in you like that. I mean, what a feeling. I know. Ugh. I know. So then she goes in, she sings for him at 12 years old. He is 40 years old. He cries. This will become a theme in the book. Like, I, I sang so beautifully, Renee cried, and he becomes her manager and starts to control every single thing in her life. And he has, the, my struggle with him was that he has really great advice. Like every night before she goes on stage, he would be like, if you want to go far, you have to know what you can do, tell it to the world. And that way you have no other choice but to do it because you've already said you could. So it's like beautiful advice. But then you realize it's training her to only get her confidence from Renee. And every single performance, her entire life, she says he whispers in her ear, you're the greatest, you're the best, everyone loves you. So imagine a 40-year-old man whispering in a 12-year-old's ear every night, you're the greatest, <laughs> you're the best. And then she goes on stage to please him. And it makes her into a credible artist, but it also makes her in love with him. It's super fucked up because, you know, on one hand, it is what you said. It's like, that. here's this, you know, this is a little, she's a little girl who's been separated from her whole family, right? Separated from everyone that's been an influence on her since she was little. And earlier in the book, she talks about how, like, when she goes to school, she doesn't really have any friends. She doesn't have any friends. <laughs> like, no friends. <gasps> Yes, yes. By the way, I totally uh, made a bet with Stephanie that she had to sing on this podcast. We're we're down one, but I'm still hoping for more. Um, So she has, like, there's nobody's opinion around her that she can bounce anything off of, right? So she's in this, like, very sheltered, very, like, tiny world. And here's this adult with so much power. Like, she talks about in the book, she's like, he had so much power over everyone, over mama and papa and, like, our our family and even the principal at school. And she she's attracted to it. She's like, I love how he controls everyone. Yes. She's like, oh, this is fascinating. It's amazing. Cause he's so like powerful, this big powerful, you know, grown-up. Like, and then you've got this powerful grown-up telling this kid, like, 
you are incredible. Believe in yourself. You're going to be this huge star. But because there's no boundary set early that like, this is like a dad figure. This is what could happen. You know, like there's no mom pulling her aside and being like, look, this needs to remain platonic. They just send this like little baby duckling into the fucking wolves den. It feels like. Totally. And it, it reminded me of a cult. Like what you said, like the first thing a cult does is isolate you from your friends and family. <laughs> and that's how they get you into the cult. It also reminded me of The Bachelor. Uh-huh. Like they they give you one option. They lock you in a room with them for two months and you're like, I love him. And this was like, they give you one option and like no, no books. books, no magazines, no, books. no phone. You can't, yeah. you can't do anything but think about this guy. And that's where she's at. From the time she's 12 years old, the world revolves around him. Yes. And she says he controls her world. She has no friends and she's so busy. She literally says, I was afraid I was gonna be alone forever because I didn't even meet anyone. So it's just like, it's only him. And he also, the other weird thing is that he pays for everything. And like, maybe I don't know how the music career works, but he's like buying her family dinner. He's buying her furs. Like he's not like paying for the recording sessions. He's like she grows up grows up as like a little princess and later it comes out that Renee remortgaged his house to pay for this shit and meanwhile y'all we didn't tell you he's married with like multiple children mul- like he's, yes. this is his second marriage that he's on he's got three kids <sighs> okay we we have to talk about his marriage so he's married to Anne Renee who is also a singer like she's also <laughs> a singer and i had to sit with this because Anne Renee watches her husband sign a 12-year-old girl, blow her career up in a way he didn't hers. He then starts fucking this girl at 18, makes her the biggest star in the world, divorces her, and she has to watch Celine Dion's intense fame and lost all her money and she never becomes a singer. And it's like, do we reach out and see if she's okay? Like, do we, should we start up a GoFundMe for Anne Renee to go to the spa? It's also like, It really says, again, Celine has this, like, she's got, it's like tunnel vision about her own life. And you feel it in the book. It's like, it's very rare that anything outside in the outside world affects her. She she literally talks about how she doesn't watch the news. Yeah. She doesn't read the newspaper. She doesn't know what's going on. She's just in a bubble that Renee created. Exactly. So like for her, she like once, once Anne Renee, like once that marriage is dissolved or like she thinks it's dissolving or she's, you know, that's it. That character's out of the, whereas like people like you and me will be like, do you maybe want to call your kid's mom? Like, is she okay? Should we like try to have a relationship with her? Like, how do we do this? You know, like, I don't know. If your like partner left you for a Someone they met when they were fucking 12. Like, how do you... I mean, maybe I'd never want to... I would never want to talk ever. to them again. I guess, like, that's probably... No. What What is upsetting? Because usually in these memoirs, I'm like, oh, my God, I love you so much. I love how honest Celine is, but she's mean about Anne Renee in the book, and it makes it hard to love Celine. She says things like, ugh, Anne Renee was, like, so demanding of his time and money. And it's like, yeah, because he remortgaged his house for a child and stopped paying his rent. <laughs> And then she would be like, I, you know, when he was going through a divorce, he was so sad. And I was upset because I thought it meant he didn't love me. But then I found out he was only sad about the kids and he hated Anne Renee. And you're like, this isn't a book that Anne Renee can read about her own marriage. Yeah. I thought about her too. I th- and I thought about those kids and how like, 
do they deal with Celine and like, do they have a relationship and, and how do they feel about Celine shitting all over their mom in this book? And like, and those kids are in the book once, one time she's like, oh yeah, his kids are there. And I think she mentions like one comes on tour with her, but like, they're not in it. But like, that's so weird to me. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, that that's a hard one to, to, to totally wrap my brain around. I want to be judgmental, but I guess I don't know. Cause like, in my imagination, if I was ever in a serious relationship with someone who had previous kids from a previous relationship, I would want to embrace them and try to like build a family or build build some kind of connection with them to show them that because I love your, you know, mom, dad so much, I want to love you that way too or something. I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, like I've been a stepkid and if this, if I was in this position, she's writing this book, like I'd want to kill her. I mean, what a monster. Your mom. I know. And it's like, Selena, what are you doing? <laughs> so, okay. So she's still a child. We're at, the, we're at a point in the book where she's still a kid. She starts to discuss her words, intimate moments she has with Renee. Like, Renee called me in the velvety sound of his voice. It was such an intimate moment. And you're like, you're 13. Yeah. And you're like, well, God, she's, she gets pulled out of school and in, um, like she writes a chapter about the movie flash dance and how that inspires her to leave school, which, you know, I support leaving school, but then, you know, she's just too young. So then Renee becomes her teacher and she's like, oh, he teaches me about the music he loves. And I was like, oh, this is every loser's wet dream to like tell a girl about all their favorite albums and she and they become hers (laughs) and then throughout the book he has this theory of luck like when you're lucky when you're not lucky and you have to test your luck and it was starting to get in my brain where I was like oh my god is this is this real do I need to start paying attention to this no thank you thank god some book clubber um this like wonderful book clubber messaged me and she was like yeah did you know gambling addicts have theories about luck and it's what makes them a gambling addict. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, it's a full-on gambling addict, yo. Like, and from the beginning, like she describes going either on tour or like doing shows and him gambling with all the musicians afterwards or like all the the crew guys and stuff. And like, it strikes me as so bizarre that A, that she's, see like witnessing it so which which means like he didn't even like create like a gap for her to not to be like and now it's grown-up time right which like listen gambling's fun I've been to Vegas like it's fun um what's more fun for me in Vegas is like going to see shows and eating a lot of insane food but like I get it people like to do it but he likes to do it a lot no, he's an addict. He has a problem. He ruins his marriage by gambling, pretty much gambling his house and gambling on Celine Dion. <laughs> and it's touched on a lot in the book. Like he loves to gamble. I think what's not touched on is like how much financial damage this man has done. Like that's not included, but like it's clear that he has fucked some shit up. Someone asked me, I told somebody, a friend of mine that I was reading this for a podcast and he was like, oh my God, does it, t- does it talk about how, you know, he gambled like millions of dollars away and that's why she had to do her show in Vegas. And I was like, nope. And nope. <laughs> so like, uh, let me Google that real quick. And like, that was the story. He's somebody that knows people like in the music industry and stuff. And he was like, yeah, like no one ever said it aloud because it would be like super, what's the word? Gauche? Gauche, word? gauche sounds right. It would be gauche. Yeah. But- That's why she did that big show in Vegas was for him. Well, 
that makes sense. And also, like, we'll get into their, like, psychotic love of Vegas, but it comes from him being a, a gambler. Yeah, and she writes about it in a loving way, but what's weird is that this theory of luck and luck about her career and her life is now, like, a part of her daily life, like wondering if she has luck and what it actually is, is a gambling addict (laughs) groomed her and now she has it in her brain. Um, I I was trying, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, don't judge too much, but like this Renee stuff is weird. Then it becomes clear that Celine wants us to know, like, and this is right around these pages that you and I both highlighted. So I think we should just like read some of them, but these pages become apparent where you're like, oh my God, here's one of the pages. Then Renee stood up. He'd kiss my mother and me on both cheeks and leave us to ourselves after unfailingly asking my mother every evening if everything was in order, if we were eating well, if the beds were comfortable, and everyone on the staff of the hotel and the restaurant had been nice to us. I'd go to bed with my cheeks softly tingling and with a little of his cologne on my skin. He'd leave to meet his friends. He always had some people to meet. He'd play cards or go see a show at a nightclub. He lived in a mysterious world that I dreamed of entering, a world that seemed very glamorous and exciting. But I was just 15 or 16 years old, and I hadn't even lost my baby teeth. And you're like, okay. And then she's like, I found where I don't know, but I found a photo of him that I gazed at a thousand times a day without my mother knowing that I covered with kisses every night in my bed. I rubbed it against my cheek. It slipped into my neck like a kiss and slid down on my shoulders. Before I fell asleep, I slipped it under the pillow out of fear that my mother, who always shared a room with me, would find it. So she's like making love to the picture. <laughs> it was like very. Oh my erotic. god! It's like her teen beat. It's like her t- her Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yes. Her Joey McIntyre is, is Renee. Renee. Meanwhile, you guys like we haven't described him. He looks like to me. He looks like like if you took Danny DeVito and like stretched him out, but then like gave him a little bit of a bigger tummy. Yes, and I just want to say we are in such fair game describing Renee's looks in a negative light and and not being nice about his looks because. Multiple times in the book, Selena's is like, I wasn't pretty enough for him. I was, I'm the ugly one. I had to get a makeover for Renee. He told me to pretty myself up. Yeah. He told me I had to get hotter. He told me I had to get a makeover. And so now that we're opening up to discussing her looks not being hot for him, it's like hot enough for this troll? For what? For this troll man? And I don't know about you, Stephanie, but I've done this. I've I've been like... I bet I'm not thin enough for this hideous beast I want to date. <laughs> like, and I've totally been like, I'm not hot enough for like what is like what no no one would consider an attractive man. I spent my entire, you know, adolescence, most of my 20s, and I would say a good part of my 30s not understanding the, that I was a beautiful woman. Yeah, totally. And it's because a lot of people tell you that you're not and that you don't measure up that you're not thin enough, that you're not tall enough, that you're not, you know, the right color, that your face isn't the right shape, whatever the fuck it is, you know? And so, like, I'm not surprised that this that this happened to her because, you know, if she's got this, again, this, like, super powerful presence in her life that's the one that she looks to, I'm, like, looking up, like, I'm looking at him, but, like, the one that she looks to for all the answers and all the reassurance, and he's, like... He's literally, like, you're not hot. Please get hotter. We have to fix your teeth. Like. Yeah. Oh, and she, 
it's clear she's had, again, power to you, have surgery, do whatever you want. It's just that this is definitely at the behest of Renee. Renee is like, you're not hot enough for me. It's not about you being like, "Mm, I think I'd like bigger boobs. That seems like what is right for me. You know, like, then do it, honey. Like, whatever you want. But this is, it's just like, well, then Renee should have to do it to himself. He should have to go on a diet. (laughs) He should have to not braid the back of his hair when the top of his head is bald. Oh my God, the braid, the braid, (laughs) the braid is, it's intense. Ugh, like, does she grab it? Like when they have sex, do you think? I mean, or do you think he takes the braid out and like shakes it like Fabio? (laughs) 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 Oh, oh God. And it's so like, I think the thing about her in the photograph, it's like what you said, teen B. It makes sense. Like I drew hearts around people in my yearbook photos. If oh I God. was currently yeah. married to them now, I'd have to kill myself. <laughs> but that's her life. You know, it's like it's normal 16-year-old behavior, except she actually marries him. Totally. Ugh. Yeah, because she has no outlet for it. There's no other—there's nobody else to express. I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, you think Romeo and Juliet is such a great story, partially because these two people meet right at the right moment in the in their lives where their hormones are just, like— exploding out of their bodies and their desire to be seen by someone is so, especially Juliet, it's so intense for her that finally somebody sees her and she's just like, I mean, it's Juliet within, you know, a couple pages of the play that's like, we should get married. And he's like, okay. You know, because she's the, she's the motor because teenage girls are fucking magic and they're their access to their own like creative souls is beyond any beyond compare. And so then you've got this, you've got that trapped in the bubble that Renee's created. And she, he's the only outlet for any of that behavior. And this is the part that I thought was so fucked up immediately after this. Right. So she's talking about, she's talking about her mom saying if she had seen, if her mom had seen that precious photo, she must not have believed that there could be anything serious between Renee and me. I understood her. Renee's head and heart were somewhere else. As soon as I left the stage and work was over, he didn't see me. It was as if I no longer existed. In his eyes, I turned back into an ordinary little girl who wasn't very pretty with inordinately long and prominent canines. Some humorists had nicknamed me Dracula. Bushy eyebrows, a too long face still encumbered by baby fat with a big nose and lips that were too thin. If he ever spoke to me in a personal way, it was about what I was doing on stage and TV, about Celine Dion, the singer, never about me in real life. And so I never wanted to leave the stage because it was the only place I felt I existed for him. (sighs) Fucking shit. That's so fucking sad. So fucking sad. And this is where the book really gets you because that type of psychosis is what makes someone into a global superstar. She never, she literally never wants to leave the stage. And then it folds over into now she's going to be in love with him and marry him because she has no other purpose in life. And it makes you wonder, like, she would have been a totally different person in life had she not met him. And you're, oh God, you're so right about teenage girls and like the magic within. And if you love someone at that time in your life, like how powerful it is. And, but the trouble is that she really, okay. So I, I, have you ever dated someone who's older than you? Yes. You don't have to go to anything, but I dated someone who was 13 years older than me when I was 24. I dated someone that was 14 years older than me when I was 26. (sighs) 
Oh my God. Okay. So mm-hmm. let, I, I'm so curious mm-hmm. your feelings because I remember at the time I felt I was so special. How could this older person like me? I'm so special. And what I realized when I was out of it is that I wasn't special. He was especially a piece of shit. Like they're very <laughs> stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not smart. He's an impaired adult who has no friends his age who <laughs> enjoys my company. Yes. But I also remember convincing people. So one of the things that really kills me and I've never admitted is that, oh God, it hurts so bad. So at the time I was making a hundred dollars a night and I paid for our first date. And Oh, I paid for it because I was like proving like he, you know, this is special and it's not, you know what I mean? It's not like a sugar daddy thing. Like I'll, I'll pay for it because we're equals. Meanwhile, this fucking loser 47 year old, whatever however old he was, is letting a 24 year old girl pay for his meal. And he's actually a broke ass. And I really just, every time she talked about him, it made me think of that relationship and how, how you convince people, how you try and think you're special, how you believe this love is special when really it's it's really fucked up. I also paid for my first date with that guy. No, you did not. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. I asked him out because I was like, I'm an independent woman. Yes. And I like, I, I asked him if he wanted to go to dinner. He was like, oh, like, you mean like a date? And I was like, yeah, like a date. And because I had asked him, I was like, I'm going to pay for this date. Wow. My first like... I don't want to give away who this person is either, but it was like a big job that we were both working on. And like, he was established in his career. Yes, so was this dude. He could have split it with me, you know, or something. I don't know. It was like all these little signs that like at first you convince yourself that like there's something special about me because this person is so talented, smart, mature, like could have, you know, his pick and he's chosen me. And the reason he's chosen you is because you a dumb, young, gorgeous, insecure thing. And he sees it. He can see it. Who will not be able to see how fucked up he is because you're not grown enough to see it. And he needs someone who won't see it. Yes. That guy used to say to me uh, at one, at a certain point in our relationship, we've been together for a long time. And I had sort of shifted my perspective about things. And I said, you know, I think I'm the kind of person that does want to get married someday. I think I do want to get married. And he was like, oh no, and got really freaked out and backed off. And I said, well, is that going to be a problem now that I've changed my mind about that? And he was like, well, I just want to, I just want to feel married before we get married. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And what it means is I'm going to feed you a line that you you'll never be able to tell me. If I tell you, Chelsea, like, I want to feel married to you before we get married. You're never going to be able to say like, well, you feel married now, right? Because I'm always going to be able to say, no, I don't, I don't quite feel married yet. And it makes you work harder. Oh, I need to do more in the relationship. I need to give more. I need to do this so that he feels this way and put something must be wrong with me because he doesn't want to marry me. And the thing that's wrong with me is that, like, I can't see that this motherfucker's not going to—he doesn't want to. He wants to be in something else, and that's fine. But I just feel—I feel like if she had had one night— If she had—if this is a book about if she had had one good female friend, she would have not married Renee. Just one. Imagine, like, some cool 
cool girl that she meets like in a shop in Paris and is like, I'm coming to your hotel tonight. Grabs her. They like get on the subway. They like go clubbing. She like meets some cute boy in a club in Paris. This whole thing would have exploded from the inside. Like, yes. I mean, and to, to wrap up our older man conversation before we go to break, I will say this. I was like, and th- and this is, this is gross, which is why I'm admitting it. I remember being like, oh my God, this like old loser must feel so cool to like be with me when we broke up every single year he had a new hotter younger girlfriend than me I mean I would because I you know you would see them and you'd be like oh my god he's getting older now she's 23 now she's hotter now she's a bikini model (laughs) and you're like oh Mm -hmm. my god Mm -hmm. it's just like you think you're special and you're not and and I remember reading that finally changed my mind, a Dan Savage column, which he was like, when you date older people, because there'll be some people listening to this podcast who were like, well, I'm in a relationship with someone older than me or I'm older. And like, those, those, there are some healthy ones, but he, he said, you have to follow campground rules. You have to leave the campground better than, than when you found it. And the ones that are dangerous are like, I still have voicemails from this guy when I broke up with him telling me that he was going to make sure I never worked again. <gasps> no. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't even, I should just delete them by now, but like, it's just not in my nature. Yeah. Cause I'm just always like, well, if he ever decides to like be a psycho again, I, I'll have to have this. But it's like he, they set out to ruin you, like to ruin the campground and move on. And I will say, Renee might follow campground rules. And that's something we'll have to discuss by the end of the book, but he might actually follow <laughs> these campground rules, which will change everything. I think that's an interesting theory. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. Okay. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, Celine loses her virginity to Renee and and describes it. (laughs) In detail. (laughs) Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, 
Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. So Renee has divorced Anne Renee. However, they're also getting back together. And it I believe it is purposely left very fuzzy in the book, the timeline of this divorce, because he and Celine are being really inappropriate. She leans on his shoulder. He sits next to her at dinner. They whisper secrets. And uh, they, you can tell me what you thought of this night. But there is a night in the book where she's like, oh, my God, she knows the date. She knows, Ugh. like, she wrote down the date. Of course, because she's a child. And that's, like, what a God. child would do. She, yeah, she writes down the date of this night where every night Renee sits next to her at dinner and they have their inappropriate whatever. <laughs> One night, he doesn't. He moves and takes a seat across the table. She says she can't breathe. She can't stand. She shakes throughout the dinner. At the end of the night, she she can't get out of her chair because she's so physically devastated that he has sat away from her. And again, I think she thinks she's describing an epic love, but it's just so clearly Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. It's an emotion. She's having like a nervous breakdown over him not sitting next to her. It is so weird. And so then he's like, we can't do this, Celine. And she's like 16, 17 here. So, and, and she's like, did my mom make you do this? And he's like, Celine, stop. And then it just kind of transitions into him being like, if we're together, people will think I abused my power. And you're like, uh-huh. And so then the next chapters become her convincing us even harder that she wants the relationship. And she says, I devote my entire life into seducing the love of my life, Renee, a man 26 years older than me, and I would have to learn the ways of seduction. And she changes her hair. She changes her teeth. And when he comes back, she sings a song with him for her new album. The album's called Incognito. Gross. And the single is called Lolita. Like, how is this real? (laughs) How is this real? And I looked up the Lolita and the Incognito music videos and like, yeah. And she's describing like, I'd come into my powers of seduction. I was really working it. Not to shit on Celine, but it's like, Lolita, ooh, ooh, ah, ah. And you're like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh my God. And then, okay. So then she sings in the Eurovision competition, which if you don't know what Eurovision is, it is so amazing. My friend Amber Ruffin introduced me to this years ago. She has parties for it. Me and um, our podcast producer might have been at one of those parties together. And amazing. it's this huge global competition where, and it's it's huge everywhere in the world, but America, everywhere, which, but- which is crazy because it's it's like a real, um, it's like a mix between American Idol and the Masked Singer, but real. And I don't know how we're not into it. Okay. So Celine is in the Eurovision competition as a 19-year-old, which I totally didn't know that. She wins all of Eurovision. It's huge. 
There is a picture of her holding a giant bottle of champagne with Renee's one eye like peeking out from behind her. (laughs) And she's like this goofy teen, like holding like a bottle of champagne. It is the greatest photo of my life because this is the night she loses her virginity. (laughs) And we have this photo of her like holding this bottle of champagne. (laughs) The virginity story is so gross. It's really gross. Okay. So, all right, so let's do it. They're in her hotel room after this big win. A big part of this is that her mom has gotten sick and can no longer travel with them. So she's alone now. She is like, I'm going to seduce him with, quote, her mature woman smile. Those are the words she uses. (laughs) I love it so much. I love that so much. And he goes to give her her nightly peck on the cheek, and she moves and kisses him. And he runs out of the room. And She's about to call him, and from the lobby, she gets a phone call. He's in the lobby, and he says to her, if you really want me to, I'll be your first. And Celine responds, and you'll be the only. Now get the fuck up here and take my virginity. (laughs) And she loves this line. She repeats it in the book, and she loses her virginity to her manager at 19, and he is 28 years older than her. Unbelievable. I mean— you know, we have to say he it's I feel so disrespectful. He has passed. So Celine is a single right. woman currently right. in this moment. And she has a younger boyfriend. I love that. I love that because Renee is the only person she's kissed, held hands with, cru- like crushed on, had sex with her entire life until now. And she's like a 50 year old woman. When I was reading this book, I was like, oh, she's like 50. No, she wrote this book when she's 32 years old. Yeah. So she's still pretty young as she's really young. Look back on all this. She's really young. I mean, that's that's the thing that even as we're as we were saying, like you're in these relationships. If if you're in this relationship with an older person, it's not very healthy. Let's let's put those what do you call them? Disclaimers on it. Yeah, disclaimer. Yeah, an unhealthy one. Yeah, an unhealthy relationship with an older person who may or may not be like manipulating you. You know, using their age and their like experience in the world to sort of color how you feel about yourself, how you feel about the world. Like, there's a lot after that that you do of like even in, but even after of like explaining away or like excusing behavior or justifying behavior because. It's the same kind of thing in abusive relationships too, where you sort of go, well, he didn't mean to, or he was upset or, you know, like that's not what he meant. He didn't mean it that way. Oh, he's just shy. That's why he doesn't like to hang out with any of my friends or know any of their names. Or why he's mean to them or he was nervous. They intimidated him. That's why he made fun of all my friends. (laughs) Right, right. Like he just gets like kind of weird around crowds. Like He just like doesn't like women who are like comedians. Like it's, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, sorry about it. I'm really sorry. Yeah, like he just feels uncomfortable like going to awards shows. Like because he's not there for any other reason to support you and hold your purse. That's why he feels uncomfortable because he's a dick, you know? Like, oh my God. Yes, the shit we say. And yeah, and she wrote a whole book of those excuses. She had to, to remain sane. I think she had to like explain it to us. And like, I think you said this like about the title. Like, I think you said it in your stories, right? Like, will you say that? Because I think it's so smart. I don't know what I said. (laughs) It was really smart. You were like, that's, I think that's why she titled it that because this is her dream version of. 
oh, her life. Yes, you know, it's her yes, it's, version of this, of these events. Whereas like look yes. through a different lens. It's like, oh girl, honey, no, you know? Um, I bet I didn't say that. So thank you for putting those words into my mouth. Um, <laughs> I think you but did. I, <laughs> I hope I did. Um, but I... I think uh, what's a, what a what what a bummer it is that this is her time to tell it. And when you read it, you're like, "This is horrifying." And this is the best version. Like this is as good as the story gets. I and know. Once they so okay, so once they get together, he's like, "We have to keep this a secret." Why? Because he's a smart person and he knows how <laughs> fucked up this is. <laughs> and also, like, uh, you know. Shout out to younger Chelsea. If someone wants the relationship to be a secret, maybe it's because the relationship's a bad thing that Probably. you shouldn't be in. Yeah. Yep. Um, so she suffers not being able to tell people that she loves them. And that's like the next part of the book of like her pain about not being able to be open about her incredible love because he knows how fucked up it is and how judged he'll be. So then the book really took its turn for me here. She gets into a small car wreck where no one is hurt. And she writes that before that moment, I didn't believe anything bad could happen to me. And I was irate with my level of jealousy. Same. I don't understand. I'm like working through this as an adult, which is like some people just get better childhoods. Some people just are born with more access to wealth and privilege is like a buzzword. So I don't exactly want to use it, but Access, access. A caring adult, a mentor, not having healthcare, danger around you. Healthcare, like, yeah. not having healthcare. to go to the hospital. Like, I mean, like not being able to go to the hospital if you hurt yourself. Like, people watching you after school. Like, not having to, you know, I mean, Mariah Carey. You know, like not having to worry that you're gonna get like the crap beat out of you. Or, uh, I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's so many things. It's so many there's things. So many there's, things. There's, there's and moments I, like in my remember in my childhood where I'd be like, I'm hungry and I don't want to tell anybody because I know it's going to be a thing right now. And I don't want to add that to the stuff that I already know that's on my parents' plates. I was like six. Yeah. I so relate to you on this because when you when your parents are in danger, you know it as a little kid, you'll start to make decisions. So like it, a funny thing about me was like, oh, Chelsea's always been working. Like, I was a maid when I was 11. I sold potholders before that. I tried to babysit when I was seven. And it's because I knew we were hurting. Not because I'm like an entrepreneur. Right, you know? right. It's because right. I know that money causes them pain. But okay, so this is what I really want to ask you about. So I, Celine doesn't deserve me to be jealous with her of her just because she had a good life. <laughs> but I do feel this feeling when people not only had a good life, but lack the awareness to know mm. that other people might have had a harder one. And it makes me mad at them. And I do think that's something for me to work through, but it's hard. And I'm it's hard. probably at the beginning of that journey. It's really hard. It's just like, I, I remember a couple seasons into Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I was talking to my therapist about something and it was like a something that I felt like was a criticism that I had received from, from someone. And she was like, you know, that's not about, that has nothing to do with you. That uh, it has only, it's only to do with them and what they're going through. Yeah. And, you know, like, let's try to break it down and see if you can figure out, you know, like, let's think about what they might be going through, but also like, let's understand that you might never know. And, so, and that's the important part. Yeah. The important part is not like, oh, you have to struggle. The important part is, do you have kindness and empathy 
for people who don't have what you have? You know, I only cried once in this whole book, and it was when her cousin, Kareen, I think that's her name. Yeah. Her yeah. cousin with, um, what was it, cystic fibrosis. She had yeah. like all these cysts in her lungs and... I cried when her cousin died because it was the first time that I felt like Celine like felt someone else's pain and lost something. And like, that's telling to me that like the biggest, you know, and it's a huge loss to to lose a family member that you love and care about, but also you've been so sheltered your whole life that that's the first time that you've ever experienced loss. Like you've never experienced loss and pain that way. And I've, I, I'm like, I'm glad we're talking about it now, but I don't even want to cover it because it, it's a device used in this memoir. And it's it's a device used in a lot of memoirs, and I don't like it, which maybe is a very judgmental from me, so I'll put that out there. But it's when you don't have struggles of, of your own, so you write about someone else's as a way to endear the reader to you. Totally. Because Celine doesn't have struggles to share with us. So she shares someone else's struggles with us. And other books do it too, to varying degrees. But in this one, I was sort of like, this is so unfair. You're almost like using this person's life because we need some empathy in this book and we won't be able to get it another way. A hundred percent. But I like, <sighs> I cried for that little girl because I felt terrible for her. But you're right. Like, it's absolutely a a device that gets used in memoirs, especially, like, in this one. Because it's, like, you—there's no (laughs) real—her only therapists in this book are people that she works with. Oh, yeah. It's her songwriters and and producers, which is, like— And her mom. And her mom. Well, okay. This is also the part of the book where, I kid you not— the sentence is, it's like, oh my God, all this stuff was happening. We were running late. Da, 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 da. Renee was like, you're going to have to take the subway. And I was like, no, no, no. And then there's a sentence in the book that says, it became clear. I was going to have to take the subway. <laughs> and you're like, what? And oh she's like, God! what is so crazy is that this part of the book is five pages long. She's like in the the wind in the subway, the violent movements, how the train worked. We had to (laughs) bitch the first four years that I lived in New York. I fucking struggled so much. I was on that subway night and day. It took all my money I was always sweaty or or like cold or pressed yes. up against somebody that I didn't know. I was like traveling all over that fucking city trying to get work. I mean, absolutely go fuck yourself on this part. Like th- it made me so mad. It made me so mad. Me too. And what is this is the angry part because it's not like, oh, shit, this is a horrible place mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, that people People take this every fucking day, multiple times a day. She has no awareness of that. She's just like, can you believe I, Celine Dion, had to take the subway once? Unbelievable. And then in the middle of it, she's like, and no one even asked for my autograph. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh my God. I mean, I, so I, I'm totally with you. Lived on the trains in New York, lived on the trains in Chicago. Sometimes wrote it because you, you had no place to go for an hour. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, yes. And you're like, well, if I get off, then I lose my transfer and I can't afford, because, you know, you buy the card and it's got to like... You only have an hour to use it or something. Yeah, it oh is. Oh, God. She seemed to not realize that people take the subway every day 
Renee has also never taken the subway. And you're like, fuck both of you. And then it reminds me of how the book jacket cut like the little the little liner notes um, advertising the book says it's a book about um, sticking close to her working class roots. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you? This should say like throwing the life her family led like in their face because she's never taken the subway. So it became very hard to relate to her. Um, So then some other events happen. She almost loses her voice. She becomes someone who takes silent periods. She won't talk. She rests for 14 hours a day to protect Mm -hmm. her instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, necessary. You respect it. Also annoying as fuck. Then Renee has a heart attack and Celine is like, that's it. I'm not hiding our love anymore. And she starts to like start leaking it out. A reporter says to her, this is a quote, oh, your manager almost had a heart attack. It would have been like losing a second father. And Celine writes, he's not my father and I love him. Ah! (laughs) And the reporter's like, okay. (laughs) So she's like, Renee, I'm going to tell people. And he goes, just wait. He proposes at dinner. And I think to him, he's like, people will be less angry if I'm marrying her. And so he proposes at dinner and they, she says, everyone loves their relationship, which also you live in a bubble. You, your bubble is so beautiful. She really believes they came out and that everyone celebrated their love. Yeah. She's, I mean, like I'm guessing that she doesn't have access or doesn't care to go, you know, tripes down to the corner store and like pick up some magazines because girlfriend, that was not the story. You know, maybe it's a choice. Maybe it's a choice to be like, they loved it. So that's fine. But I wish she would have written, um, I don't even know how they reacted because I don't give a fuck. Like that would have been cooler, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that would have been cool. Okay. So then this is the page that fully broke me where I was like, I can no longer love Celine. Oh no. What page? Okay. Let's see if this, uh, if this gets to you. Some artists want to change the world. That's all well and good, but I'm not like that. I'm not trying to change the world. I just want to sing to the world. It's as simple as that. I have no anger or dissatisfaction raging in me. I am not a tortured soul. I want you to see what I wrote. I wrote, why? (laughs) Why? Why Why do you want to perform then? Like, that's the biggest, that's the, and to bring it back to what we were talking about in the beginning, talk about trying to convince yourself of something. Girl, there's nobody that makes art that isn't trying to express something inside them, whether or not you are able to name it, describe it, point at it. Maybe you can't, and she clearly cannot. But fucking shit, man. Like, you don't work your whole life to create and cultivate this incredible voice, incredible talent. She is amazing. She's an amazing singer. You don't work your whole life to do that and not have some deep desire to leave some kind of something in the world. I just want to sing to the world. No, honey, because then you would have fucking done karaoke in your little town in Quebec. Totally. And also, like, this is like, I know this is not everyone feels this way. But to me, like, art forms culture. Culture can, if it gets better, can save so many things. Now, that's corny. That's dorky. I actually believe, like, the most powerful things are funny, fluffy entertainment that hidden inside it is going to make our culture better. I RuPaul's Drag Race. Let's talk about it. I mean, that's a perfect example of that. Great point. Yes, it's like, it doesn't have to be the news. It doesn't have to be, you know, serious. Mm-hmm. But, like, art is here to move our world. There is so much pain in the world. How 
dare you have all of this and not do a literal thing with it? Mm-hmm. I, I like she could even just be like, I, you know, I took my first album sales. I put it in a savings fund and all the interest off of that will forever go to children in need. That's it. That's all I've done. And I would be like, you have done enough. That is huge. Maybe she did. And we don't know. But if she did and still has the audacity to be like, I don't care to change the world. It's like, well, fuck you. Yeah. Ugh, it makes me so mad. She's also, she's, I mean, if you, we could really go like pretend therapists over here. But if you think about some of these songs that she sang, so many of them, almost all of the big hits are love songs. And they're these very tortured, very much in pain, very like, there's loss in her voice. There's like, does my, I remember like when I was 12, a 12 or 13, and that Water from the Moon song was on that album. Do you remember mm-hmm. that song? Vaguely. I fucking loved that. That was one of those fancy songs for me that I would just like sob to. I'd never been in yeah. love before. Didn't know if I was ever going to be in love because like at the time I was like, I'm ugly. Who's going to love me? You know? And like yeah. <laughs> the lyrics are... Do I have to get water from the moon? Is that what I have to do to make you love me? To make you love me. Do I have to turn the sand into the sea? Is that what you want from me? I've done everything that I could do, but get water from the moon. And like, it's like- Oh, wow, that was beautiful. That got me. If if she is trying to say that she's like, she just wants to sing. It's like, then why are you picking these songs that are about tortured, unrequited, confused love? And putting them out into the world with the best voice that you could possibly pull out of your humanness in this life. Well, because Renee picked them for her and she didn't pick them. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I, I will say, I'm being hard on her. There, There is a clip of her that exists where she sees the flood damage in New Orleans. <laughs> and she like sobs about it and that that brings her back for me where I'm like you know I think if she had opened a newspaper maybe she would want to change the world it's just no one ever opened it for her so I once again blame Renee I blame Renee because (laughs) I got really mad at her for this and also I got I get mad at everyone who's like who let her include that who let her include that in the book and it's clear you know if I am anything it is a tortured soul so when she's like I'm not a tortured soul I was sort of like okay rude personal, that is a personal insult to me. Also just, she's lying to herself. She's fucking lying to herself, dude. Like she's, you're right. She's lying to herself. She's been in love with this dude groomed by this dude since she was 12 years old. You're trying to tell me that that's not, I mean, like you've read Lolita. Oh yeah. Dear listener, if you haven't read Lolita at the end of it, Lolita ain't coming out great in that one. She real fucked up. She's super fucked up because that's what happens to young women that get, that, this happens to totally they get super fucked up and like all she's doing is pulling this like she's being a good girl she's being like my life is wonderful well so okay so one thing we have to talk about is that um and this makes me like her again so in mariah carey's book she talked a bunch of shit about celine dion at the aretha franklin divas live concert and and basically said at aretha's like big concert to you know celebrate her her as a musician, there was a singer who, instead of respecting her, tried to steal the show, which is Celine Dion. And it's a very, you know, it's a valid point. I think this is my theory. Mariah Carey has not felt like people have given her the respect she deserves. They treat her like a trollop piece of shit and not like an artist, a survivor, and like one of the best musicians of all time. So 
when people like Ariana Grande tried to outsing her in carpool karaoke, she's so upset. So then in her book, she uses Celine Dion to make a point about respect because she wants respect. But <laughs> Celine Dion has no idea this happened, even to this day, because <laughs> someone sent me an Andy Cohen Watch What Happens Live interview with Celine Dion where he's like, oh yeah, Diva's live. What happens there? And she's like, what are you talking about? I sing beautifully. <laughs> Like, she doesn't even know there's drama about this. And in that moment, I was like, you live in on planet Renee. You live there by yourself. We are not invited. That is okay. And I will say this, though. Mariah Carey takes some time to shit on other women. Celine Dion does not. She's just living in her planet. And there's something to be said for, like, I wonder who's happier. Maybe it's Celine. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question, right? Because, like, I think... Ignorance is bliss. And if you're, if you're, she's got a lot, she's got a lot of it. Right. And you're so right. She is on planet Renee. She's like the little prince who's like never seen anything. Oh my God. You're so right. (laughs) It's like, she just like waters her volcanoes. Waters her little voice every day. Her little garden of Renee Renee and and goes back to bed. And she watches the sunrise (laughs) however many times a day, you know, it's like, that's what she does. She doesn't have anything beyond that. I mean, like, you can watch the clip. She literally has no idea anything weird happened. Oh it's my God. wild. Okay, I would so love to watch it. She and Renee get married for the first time. Um, <laughs> I will say, in reading about the giant crown she has pinned into her scalp, I think it's maybe... I remember at the time the press was like, they stitched it into her scalp. Now I'm sort of like... It sounds like you had an extra hair piece and they pinned it into that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It didn't sound that bad this time. Their wedding is... Like winter princess extraordinaire. What does she call dress. her dress? It's like her age of innocence <sighs> dress. Oh, right? yes, her age of innocence dress, uh, which, you know, uh, fitting, fitting time. I mean, I guess so. Um, <laughs> Think about that. I guess so. Oh my God. Her, um, her wedding flowers are in a bag, and this florist um, who's in the book club, it, by the way, you're in the book club if you DM me, so she's in the book club. Right. And she was like, oh, it, there's orchids in there, and it was so cold outside that they have to bag it, or they'll, they'll like, I wanted to say melt. I know that's not the oh right word. But, um, so then she walks down the aisle with flowers in a bag, and then she <sighs> also says there's magicians at her wedding and cages of doves. No, and this I was is like, so that real is housewives. A- so then... One of my favorite parts of the book, she talks about how when she's with her family, they do hours of improv together. (laughs) She's like, we just improvise for hours. And she was like, Renee doesn't participate, but he's a great audience member. And at this point, I was like, you know, maybe this is fitting punishment. You groom a 12 year old. (laughs) You make her marry you, but you're going to have to watch hours of family improv. And maybe we're even now. Um, And then my favorite page in the whole book is one page where she says, my husband's fat and he's a gambler and I don't care. And then she says, stop calling me anorexic, not because it's a shameful disease, but because I'm not and I love my body. So fuck off. And then she says, why make up lies when the truth is more interesting? And to that, I like every clap in the world because this book was fucking interesting. This is way more interesting than is Celine Dion on a diet or not? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. So then Renee has an idea to give each of her siblings $100,000 for Christmas. 
I love this because there's 13 of them. So that's $1.3 million. Amazing. <laughs> and she gets into her small chapter, the kind of like a, a memoir necessity is like, what charity do you do? Right. Can tell a lot about a person depending on what charities they support and who they think deserves money. I'm going to tell you a side story and I hope I don't get shit on for this, but for our wedding, we decided to forego like traditional gifts and we decided to pick four charities and make it super easy for people to donate. I love that. There are some people that decided that they wouldn't donate to those charities because they didn't like them and they donated to (gasps) other charities. And at the time I was like, well, I guess like it's great that they're wanting to give money to whoever. But now that you're saying that, it's like, it's like, so what's wrong with like the ones that we picked exactly because like totally and it's that they don't believe those types of people whatever it is deserve money because in my heart who deserves money is everybody everybody is everybody except yeah. for evil people everybody deserves right. money but there are some people who are like no you actually only deserve money if x and x happens to you yeah i, I find it so fascinating to see what charities people like but that said give to whatever charity you want because all charity is good all so, charity is good sure that is a fascinating question so then she's like I love golf. And you're like, what? Oh my, like, how are we doing this? She's like, Renee loves golf. So now I love golf. And then they build a massive Florida house. It looks like Disneyland. Mm -hmm. She has it decorated to look like Caesar's palace. That was tough to take in. And when they arrive to the house for the first time, she has a bunch of decorations in it. She also has two mimes. Two mimes are there to welcome them into their new house. Why? Why? Why, Celine? Why? That's so corny. So then she says, and this is when it gets tough, on her 33rd birthday, they find out that Renee has cancer. And he comes um, kind of into remission towards the end of the book, but then he gets cancer again later. And this is like a huge thing for her. And she's kind of writing the book somewhat in this, this phase. And she writes things like, when two people are in love, it has to be forever. That's what I believe, which is intense. Wow. <laughs> it's intense. And so a possible reframe on this entire Celine story is that she's controlling. She forced him to be with her. And she was like, if you're going to make me into this, then you're going to have to love me forever. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Uh, again, it's a possible reframe, but she is like, it's me and only me, motherfucker. Yeah. And I don't know. Or another reframe, they're truly happy and, you know, the mimes are happy too. I don't know. It's so hard to know because, you know. It's so hard to know. But she does say that the highest honor in this business is not just to be successful, but to be successful and maintain your sanity. And I will say, yeah, holy shit, because I think I'm going to lose it like every day. Like every day I'm like, is today the day this business breaks me? <laughs> she she does seem like she's cultivated something in her that is able to, and whether it's that like good girlness or not, and like cultivating hope and cultivating happiness is a job. It's like, it's hard work. And so she seems to have figured out a way to have done it for herself. And, you know, yeah, sometimes I think that, you know, in, incessant like positivity is really boring and also a- annoying, like annoying wrong. and and fucked up because it's <laughs> like, can you just like dig down and like get to some of that stuff? But sometimes that, you know, 
And I'm going to be so my, my very most basic self. But remember when Charlotte loses the baby in Sex and the City? Yeah. And then she, like, sits on the couch for a long time. But then she decides to, like, put on a super cute dress and go walk the street. And, like, I remember feeling at that time, and I still feel this way sometimes now, it's like, sometimes you just have to pretend that it's going to be okay. And then you start feeling like it's going to be okay. And I wonder if that's something that Celine, like, does really, really, really well. Again, like, who knows? But she either does exactly what you're saying really well, or she's the little prince and everything is good on her planet. So, you know what I mean? Like, she, there's no way to know. It could be both. It's both. She's a, she contains so, multitudes. Multitudes. So then she and Renee renew their vows. Where? In Vegas. And Caesar's Palace pays for it, which is so suspect. Like, how many millions did you gamble there for the hotel to be like, we'd like to gift you a wedding? So many. The wedding is so gorgeous until you remember it's in Vegas. And you're like, this is disgusting. There's camels. There's like Their outfits are chef's kiss. Their outfits are incredible. Her hair is dream hair. It, all of it is incredible. It's all incredible. And then we get to, believe it or not, the most shocking page in the whole book for me. She reveals, and this is the last page of the book, that she and Renee have never talked shit before. Ever. She's literally like, Renee doesn't like trash talk. But in after touring, we've taken this um, respite. He's, you know, dealing with cancer. And for the first time, I decide to talk shit on all the people we've met throughout our career because we've, we've just never done it before. And I was like, no wonder you guys are so fucking successful. You've never talked shit before. I mean, I I try to. I will say, I used to talk a lot of shit, like, in my early 20s or whatever, you know, like, with best friends or, you know. Yeah. But I, I think, like, I think my life has improved since I stopped talking shit about actual people that I know and started talking shit about, like, people that are searching for a million-dollar home, you know, like, or, you know, like, now I watch reality yes, TV. Yes. And Brad and I talk shit about what we're watching. And it's so fun. And we should talk The Bachelor. And we should talk, you know, well, we only want to spend 70000 And we want, like, four bedrooms in Venice. Like, I, that's, like, the shit talking that I do. Yeah. People that I know, I stopped a long time ago because, or I stopped trying to, like, if I felt myself doing it, it's like, well, why are you doing this? Is this necessary or? What always comes from a place of insecurity and everyone's insecure and like, but yeah, when you're shit talking people, you know, unless they did something evil and fucked up, you're just in your own pain and you're, you're just wasting your own fucking life. That said, having opinions, having judgments, that's what makes you an artist. You have to have that. That's normal. You have to. Not to mention, you can talk, because I am the same way where it's just like, coming up in this business, you're like, what's happening? What's happening? And then finally, I was like, not only is that toxic, but it's not helping me succeed. Like, I right. helping me succeed is actually working hard. Like, you don't need to worry about the rest of it. But I still have opinions. I can still be like, that person did a good job at that. Or yeah. that person didn't do a good job at that. That's not even talking shit. Those are like facts. And they apparently didn't even do that. Uh, so, okay. So the book ends with her being like, I finally told Renee my feelings on people. And then this is the very last page. And then little by little in the spring, we stopped talking about the past and analyzing it. And we turned toward the future. A great happiness came into being and we took it as a sign. That child was waiting for us and had always been waiting. And more than anything, it will come to enrich and change our lives. 
On August 24th, we learned that we will be having a boy, and Renee and I are so happy. I imagine he will have Renee's smile, his eyes. I know I will be crazy about him. In a few months, I'll sing him a lullaby. Every day, I say a little prayer for him to be good and happy. He is already an important part of my story. Aww. So it ends with them getting pregnant, which you're like, that's so, that's so, that's so nice. It's really sweet. And yeah, and then she goes on to have twins later, which I learned is an in vitro thing where basically I was recapping this book on my Instagram and Celine Dion has this whole thing about how someone thought she would have twins one day and then she actually does have twins. And I was like, this is crazy. Celine Dion has twins. Beyonce has twins. Mariah Carey has twins. Jennifer Lopez has twins. Like, is this like a celebrity thing? If you're like a star, are they like, you need to give us two of your genetics? Um, And a bunch of women on my Instagram DM'd me who had gone through IVF or had had children, you know, closer to 40. And I learned two things. One, when you're like pumped full of hormones and you're maybe planting multiple eggs to try and have a pregnancy take, the chances that um, two take or an egg splits and, and you have twins is higher. But then also one incredible book clubber let me know that when you get older, she described it as your body has like a going out of business sale. And so it just sends tons of eggs out. And then if you're fertilizing those eggs, there's a greater chance of twins. But then also just on your own, your body's throwing out tons of eggs. <laughs> and so for all those reasons combined, there are multiple reasons why if you have um, IVF or you're older when you're trying to get pregnant, you could have twins. Isn't that insane? Oh my God, that's horrifying. Yeah, I didn't that's know that. That's actually horrifying. That. As someone who I is know. not a spring chicken that is and would like to have a baby someday, that's horrifying. My God, well, listen, imagine, Stephanie, if you have twins, <laughs> imagine thinking you're just going to have one and then like you're not Celine Dion and all of a sudden you have two. That's I mean, horrible, horrible. How do you get the money for two? I don't um, know. That's okay. immediately, that's how I know that we had similar childhoods because immediately both of our brains are like, how do you get the money? How do you have money for two? How do you get the money? The same time? Money? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's magical. I'm sure it's magical. All twin people. I'm sure yes, it's amazing. It's magical. It's fine. It always works out. Whatever. Yeah. Love to Celine and her children. Okay. So we end every podcast with a thank you to the author. My thank you is um, Taylor Howard, who was a guest on the Tina Turner episode, is huge into fashion. And she sent me 20 of Celine's most incredible fashion looks. I'll repost them on the story. I missed that Celine is not only a fashion queen, but she's a psycho. So she wears psychotic things and like gives us a show. And like, as my mom said, it's like, we don't watch red carpets for like the same cute black dress. You watch for the person who's going to walk down in a white tuxedo backwards and a hat. And that's Celine. You know, she gave us a show her entire life. And she always gives us a show. And even though I got mad at her in this book, this book was a show. And it was so fun to read. Like, what a gift in pandemic to, like, have something fun to read. And this is dorky, but there's a playwright named Sarah Roll. And she had a quote that I, I've always loved. And it goes, interesting moments are more interesting than non-interesting moments. And I love the quote because, you know, it's a gift to be fascinating and full of scandal. And like, we need brave and interesting women. And as little girls, you know, you and I got Celine as a superstar who was kooky and weird and she didn't have perfect cookie cutter looks. You know, she existed because she was just that talented. And 
like that, like what a gift to just watch a woman, you know, succeed in life because she's talented. What a lesson. So also, Celine, thank you for that psychotic New Orleans video where she sobbed and then sang a song on air for two minutes straight. I will post this on my Instagram. I'll also post all the fashion. So finally, Celine, thank you for being so honest. When you are this honest, you, you're going to be judged. And she did it anyway. And I just think like, how fucking inspiring is that? So thank you for like really giving it to us in this book. Cause she didn't have to. And she did. She gave us all the shit. She really did. She told us all the bits, all, all the shit. The bits. Um, yes. If you have a thank you for Celine, we'll put it in as well. There were some very pure moments of her talking about how much she loves singing and how much she loves talking about it with other people and singing for an audience and how it like fills her with this incredible overwhelming joy and also sometimes like pain to the point where she had to figure out how to control her crying while she was singing because you can't really do both at once you know, she can say what she wants about not being a tortured soul, but like you don't have those emotional reactions to performing in front of an audience unless you're deeply driven like by something that you don't even really understand. And like, I am hmm. I yeah. love that she talks about that because it's a really vulnerable thing to talk about because like, you know, in our industry, I think like people, not everyone, but a lot of people will just laugh if you say like, I'm super passionate about this thing. And it's like the thing, I, it's my vocation. And I feel like, I mean, I'm- My craft. I, it's my craft, right? Like it's this thing that I think about night and day and I obsess about it. And I, you know, whatever little aspect of that it is. And she's obsessive about singing. She's down to the, like when she, her vocal cords were all fucked up, you know, she like didn't talk for forever. And like, I get it. Like in a lot of ways, like I yeah. get, I get that. And I'm never going to be Celine Dion, but I like, I, I completely get that. Like <laughs> one story that I'll tell really fast, that crappy ex that I was telling you about. Yeah. The first play that I did in LA, the one that got me my agent, that play was a really difficult play. My character went through a lot of stuff, including like sexual assault on stage and like being dragged off by ICE because she was an undocumented oh immigrant. And so on Saturdays and Sundays, we would have to do the play, you know, twice or Saturday at least. So you'd have a Friday night, two shows on Saturday, a matinee on Sunday, and sometimes you'd have a Sunday evening. And so like between the shows, I would want a nap because I, I needed to like give myself that. Right. And so like I had this like weird ritual. Celine has all these weird rituals. and like, I remember my ex being like, why don't you call me between shows? It's only half an hour. We can talk for half an hour. And I'm like, I fucking need that time. And he made me feel so guilty about that, that I would need that 30 minutes. And like what she talks about in this book, and I'm so, I'm thankful for that, is like, you need what you need as an artist. You just need it. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, unless you're hurting someone, but like, if you need a quiet space, if you need to X, Y, Z to be ready to perform in half an hour, take it, do it. It doesn't matter. Like make it so that you can perform at your best level. And like, she does that. She talks about that over and over in this book. And so like, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Oh, that is such a good one. Such a great story. Okay. 70. So everyone already follows you online, <laughs> but where can people follow you online? Just in case there's someone out there who doesn't yet. I believe on my Instagram is Stephanie Beatriz, B-E-A-T-R-I-Z. And 
I can't remember what my Twitter is because I haven't been on there in a while because it's a Good real for you, shit show. Because you're happy, you're a happy, healthy person. I'm avoiding uh, it like the plague. That's why I think it's yeah, I am it's Steph a, Beats, but I can't remember. But you can follow no, me on Instagram. Uh, Twitter is taking a turn. It's, Twitter's a true nightmare. It's, it's a shit show. It's a true nightmare. But look at, I mean, Stephanie's in so many things, but I'm so excited for In the Heights. Um, I and, am too. and also about this book, like it's a musical and we got it to is. hear about your yeah. theater background. Yeah. So I'm so excited for it. And also to say in it here so that I can be the newsbreaker. One day you'll write us a memoir, right? <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, that would be, it would a, be so good. That would be a real shit show. A real one. It's coming. We want it. We want it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, this was amazing. Thank you for having me. Man, I just love Stephanie so much. I already loved her, but now I'm more in love with her. And also, like, I'm still reeling from that book. And if you want to see the fashion we talked about, the champagne virginity picture, Renee's wedding braid, um, I will post all of that on my Instagram story at Chelsea Vantes. And I just really, uh, sitting with this, I just love what a complex character Celine is. And it, oh, it's just so good. Okay, so you guys, there's a Facebook group. If you want to dive in and start discussions, it's Celebrity Book Club Podcast. And then coming up next, we have Carly Simon, our very special Valentine's Day episode, which I'm, um, as I'm recording this, I'm currently recapping it on my Instagram and it's already so good. We'll have Gabrielle Union coming back. Leave us a review if you like the podcast. And I just want to shout out our producers. I could not do this show without them. Executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. If you want to listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club, you can only do that on Stitcher Premium. And if you want a free month to Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS. Thank you so much to Apple for spotlighting us. And you guys, I have so much Celine stuff to post. So go find the Instagram story. I'm putting it all up there right now. <laughs>